0: Well, today we're gonna, um, we're gonna finish uh, the last installment of our You Asked For It series. The only problem is is today's message you didn't ask for. Uh, so this is a you didn't ask for it, but you're gonna get it anyways uh, message. And uh, I thought it might be good with everything that's going on in our world on social media and all of that. I thought today it would be good to talk about American politics. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Not really. I, I really don't want to talk about politics. That's a dumpster fire right now. Um, I do want to talk about money, and next to politics, money sounds great, right? Like if if you if if I would have come out with that, if I would have led with, "Hey, I want to really talk about money today," you'd have been like, "Ah, oh, man." But you're like, "Well, next to politics, I'll take money," right? So. Uh, I I did that to lighten it. I don't know if it worked or not, but you guys are serious today. We better lighten up. First service was serious too. Uh, I'll be honest with you. This is one of the uh, topics that I don't love talking about all that much. Uh, I'm a little insecure in talking about it. I don't know why uh, Jesus talks about it uh, more than anything. I heard a pastor say that one time. He said, uh, you know, Ryan, uh, money is, Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell. I was like, oh, like, let me, you know, I don't think so. Like, I think that's an excuse for you to talk about it more. So I went and researched it, and sure enough, Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell, and he talks about money more than love, even. So I thought, well, if Jesus talks about it a lot, then I probably should talk about it as well. And the problem is, is uh, we kind of fall into this trap of of not wanting to talk about it because of some of the stuff that's happened in our culture, right? For me personally, I find some hesitancy in t- giving a talk on money. And if you're visiting with us, you're like, "Ah, oh, this is one of those churches that talks about money all the time." After service, you can ask any one of the people in here, and they will tell you, "I haven't talked about money in forever." So it's very few and far between that I talk about it, but really felt like this is something that God wants to do in our lives. That this is something where, uh, as I've been talking about over the past few weeks, where the Lord's just kind of given me this vision from Scripture where uh, you measure off a 100 cubits and you go ankle deep and it's deeper and deeper into the river. And uh, and this is one of those areas that I feel like the Lord is really challenging us as a church um, to go deeper in. Now, I'll preface that by saying we're a very generous church, um, I'll also preface it by saying I would never speak on money when we are in dire need. This isn't about keeping the lights on or uh, any of those things. We have, uh, you know, three months, two and a half months of our operating expenses in the bank. And, uh, and so this isn't like a dire need situation from a uh, financial standpoint for the church. This is a dire need situation for us spiritually. Uh, I believe that there's a stronghold in our culture, in our world, especially in our community here in Stone Oak, where uh, money is the rule of all things, and, uh, and so that's a pretty strong statement. I'll just move on from there. <laughs> I want to read a passage of scripture uh, that comes from a, a group of books uh, called the Paul's Epistles. Before I do that, I, I just want to explain to you that the reason why we don't like to talk about money in the church is because you've got guys who uh, misuse this topic, right? You got preachers, pastors on TV or uh, in the news or whatever. This this exorbitant exorbitant spending. This it's just it's crazy. It's gotten out of control, and so uh, what ends up happening is guys like me end up wanting to take the the baby and throw it out with the bathwater because we just don't want to approach it uh, for fear that you might lump me into that category with one of those people. And so we don't talk about it. We also don't talk about it because there's just a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of misinformation on the tithe, who gets the tithe. Uh, do we still tithe today? Do we give, as Second Corinthians talks about, uh, in a spirit-led way? Or do we actually give 10%? There's just All of this information, and and honestly, I've been guilty at times of being the pastor who uses a passage of scripture that maybe I've heard my whole life used in the context of giving, in the context of tithing, and I'll use it, and then I actually went back and studied it, and I'm like, I don't think that that meant what I thought it meant. Right? You actually look at the context and the history of it and you realize that that probably isn't applicable to what we're talking about when we're talking about tithing and giving. So, uh, that being said, uh, I hope that today uh, will be insightful. What I want to do is I want to tackle a principle, and I'm going to get to that in just a second. So here's the passage of Scripture. It's from Paul's epistles. It's in Timothy chapter 6. It says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You guys are a generous, generous church. And I don't just say that uh, flippantly. We really are. And, and for us to be able to do what we do ministry-wise, for the fact that I don't have to work, you know, uh, I think it talks about in Timothy that uh, you should pay the people that are teaching you the Word of God and stuff. And I, I just uh, would just take a moment and say thank you that, that I don't have to have another job that that I don't have to work another job and to be able to study the word and uh, to be able to present it and to lead our staff and to lead you guys. So you guys are a generous church. But But when I read passages in Timothy, it's really kind of like a guidebook for me, because I'm I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor of the church, and and these Paul's epistles are really written for me to look at and say, okay, well, he's saying command them to do these things, and and that's my job, is to then stand before you and to take you deeper and deeper and deeper into the water. And so I want to encourage you in this principle, in this principle of your finances. Proverbs 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 8 through 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. That's a familiar phrase, isn't it? We say that in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day uh, our daily bread, right? So it's, it's give us our portion, today's portion. Otherwise, I may have too much. Anybody have that problem, too much? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So there's kind of this catch 22. It's like, I might have too much and then I don't really need God. And honestly, if I, you know, it's, that's kind of a challenge in, in American culture and in, uh, in the culture of this community even. It's like, well, I've got my cars, I've got my house, I've got, you know, I've got lots of debt, but I've got all of these things. I don't know that I really need God in my life. And that's what happens when you have too much, you have zero need for God. If you have too little, you start stealing and then you dishonor the, name of the God, name of God. So as we take a look at this, I really want us to look from this perspective. And this is in your notes. It's the first blanks in your notes. It's the perspective of stewardship versus ownership. A steward manages that which isn't his, that which doesn't belong to him. So if we look at it from that perspective, God owns everything. I'm just his manager. God, anything that I have belongs to him and he's entrusted that to me to do the work of the ministry with it. And that goes beyond just our money. It goes beyond just our finances. God is giving you gifts, abilities, What would it look like if we were to take our gifts and to take our abilities and say, God, you've given these to me, you've entrusted them to me, and now I want to manage them in such a way that I see miraculous things take place uh, in the kingdom. That I want to use all of my finances, I want to use all of my gifts, all of my abilities for eternal purposes. We become good managers of the things that he's given to us. We come to Him and and we, we really say, God, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to have this portion, however big or little it may be, this portion. Thank you for allowing me to have that. All that I have, all that I am is just a temporary resource. So we begin by recognizing that this is a stewardship issue. This isn't an ownership issue. You don't own anything. This is stewardship. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in, steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Does yours say beak? No, they got it right up there. My notes say beak. That's weird. So here's a passage of Scripture that uh, oftentimes is quoted in the context of a giving message, a financial message, a tithing message. Hey, stop having things that are just going to get destroyed. You can't take anything with you, so just give it all to the church, right? Uh, That's essentially what we read in the context of that that passage of Scripture. And that's true. It's true that the things that you have, you cannot take with you. And we can invest our time, our energy, our resources into things that really break down and fail us or we can invest them into kingdom things. I wanna talk with you about this kingdom principle that I think if we could grab hold of it today, it would be like uh, the story of Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, where it talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure that a man comes into a field, he finds this treasure, he buries it back again, and then he goes and sells everything that he has just so he can buy that field. So it's interesting, whatever that thing was in that field, whether it was a, maybe it was a gold mine that hadn't been tapped or whatever the case, maybe it was a big diamond, I don't know. But whatever it was, it was worth more than anything that he had, so much so that he'd be willing to get rid of all of that stuff. And now he's just got a field. I don't have any place to live. I just go and gonna sleep on the dirt in the field, but I got this. And he's gonna mine out whatever it is that he can get out of that and that would bring value to him. I think that this principle of what we're talking about is just like that treasure. That if we would be willing to just set everything aside and say, I'm going to joyfully come to this field and to embrace this treasure that God has for us, it'll change your life. It's a principle called the principle of the first. It's about a principle that's been present from the beginning to the end. If you look throughout Scripture, all the way throughout Scripture, you see this thread, and it's called the principle of the first. When we have the principle of the first in our life, when we put God first in our life, everything comes into order. It does, I'm not saying that you won't have problems. I'm not saying that there won't be trials in your life. What I am saying is that when you put God first, everything will be in order. Contrast that with if you don't put God first, everything is out of order. So this is this principle that we see throughout Scripture, and I want us to look at it in Exodus chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I want you to consecrate. I want you to set to the side to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. It's a very declarative statement there. In the Hebrew, it it just, it literally means it belongs to me. It's my property. And then in verse 12 of the the same chapter, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The male shall be the Lord's, Notice the ownership again. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. It's a little disturbing. In other words, if you're not going to give the first back to God, you're going to lose it anyways. And all of the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So write this down in your notes. The first must be either sacrificed or it must be redeemed. Sacrificed or redeemed? In this case, we're talking about the firstborn. It either needs to be sacrificed or it needs to be redeemed. That's what we just read. So how do you know which to do? Do we sacrifice it or do we redeem it? Well, in this passage of Scripture particularly, the donkey, in this case, represents unclean animals. The lamb represents clean animals. And so if your firstborn, if your clean animal has a firstborn, it has to be sacrificed. If your unclean animal has a firstborn, then it must be redeemed with the sacrifice of a clean animal. Say, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about sacrificing anything? I don't even have a donkey. Like, what's the point of all of this? Let me put it into this context. When you were born, spiritually speaking, were you born clean or unclean? Some of you say unclean. You would be right. You were born, and I can prove that by just asking the parents in the room, how many of you had to teach your kids how to be bad? None of you did, right? You had to teach your kids to be good. It came naturally to them to just be bad. They were born sinful. They were born with a sinful nature. So if we were born unclean, then was Jesus born clean or unclean? There wasn't nearly enough of you that answered that. Clean, right? The answer is always Jesus. It's always clean, right? Clean, He was born clean, we were born unclean, and here's the correlation as to why I'm talking about animals getting killed, is because Jesus, the unclean firstborn, had to be sacrificed in order to redeem the unclean. See, that's the point, is the the clean has to be sacrificed for the unclean being us. God gave Jesus his firstborn, and he had to be sacrificed. You could look at it from the perspective that Jesus was God's tithe. Why did God invent tithing? Like, does he need our money and stuff? Well,. I mean, I know you think that God didn't invite, invent tithing, that really it was some preacher in a $1,000 suit. That's the guy that invented tithing. But, but it was actually God. But why? Does, does he need our money? I mean, God can make bread come from heaven. He can make water come out of a rock. He can do all of those things. So why do we have to, to tithe? Well, he didn't invent tithing for him. He invented it for us. He, he, he came up with this idea for our sake. Here's where people get hung up. Because you guys are smart people, and anyone that, is, that can read, can read in Scripture and see that every time the tithe is talked about in the Old Testament, it's in reference to produce and livestock. Right, So we look at that and we say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. I don't have to give my money because I don't have any livestock. I don't have any, I don't have any produce. The Old Testament tithe isn't referenced as money. And some pastors will even say to you, they'll say, well, and I've been guilty of this. They'll say, well, that's just, you know, that's because they didn't have money back then. They didn't have any money, so that's their money. Well, that's not totally true. I mean they did have money they had silver they had coins if you look at the story of Joseph you see Joseph putting uh, silver coins into his brother's satchel and so they it existed money existed but there is some truth to the fact that this was for many people their livelihood and so they had produce they had they had livestock But what happens oftentimes is people will read the Scriptures and they will say, well, that was for then. It's not for today. It was under the law. We're not under the law anymore. We don't have to be bound by the law. And so, therefore, we don't have to do it. But let me just give you some examples in 2 Corinthians where it does talk about giving. It doesn't use the word tithing, interestingly enough. And some people will reference this as being spirit led giving over this specific 10% or this tithe. But here's the language that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, 10, uh, and 11 and 12, even. So here, here's the, the, the language Give even beyond your ability. Don't give under compulsion, give joyfully. Give because you are growing spiritually. Give because you want to continue growing spiritually. Give because you are hearing the gospel preached. So many argue that giving described in 2 Corinthians is more of a spirit-led giving. I'll just ask the Holy Spirit, what should I give? And then I will give that. And while I don't disagree with that, I would argue that 2 Corinthians, if we're going to take it from that standpoint, is going to require a whole lot more of us than a tithe. A spirit-led giving would require more than just 10%. It would require well more beyond our ability, is what it says. So we bring him our first, and this is the second point in your notes. We bring him our first, and the first fruits must be offered. See, that's a little bit of a different language than the give that we see in 2 Corinthians. I think there's really a bringing uh, that's important here from Proverbs chapter 3. Verse nine through 10, honor the Lord with your possessions and with your first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Exodus chapter 23, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. He's making sure we understand it's the first. It's not just the first fruits, it's the first of the first fruits. And then he goes on to say, it's the, he uses the word bring. I didn't look up all the references uh, to, to the word tithe in the Old Testament, but every reference I did look up uses this word bring. It doesn't say give in the Old Testament when it refers to the tithe. It says bring it. Bring it into the storehouse. Bring it into the Lord's house because it doesn't belong to you. right? So you can either bring it or you can keep it. And he always says bring it to the house of the Lord your God. Now, that's convenient for a guy like me who's standing here teaching you about this. But here's the thing is I I believe in giving above our tithe. We call those offerings. It's why I make a distinction Whenever time I have the ushers come down, I say we're gonna receive our tithes and our offerings. I'm not being redundant. I'm referencing the fact that we have our tithe that we bring to the Lord. And then there's also offerings that may go to missions. It may go to uh, some of the other ministries here in town. It may go to help sponsor a kid uh, for, uh, for compassion. Whatever the case, whatever the other ministries are, those are offerings But we're to bring the tithe into the house of the Lord. If you operate with the principle of the tithe, then that belongs in the house of the Lord. When the children of Israel were taking the promised land, God said to them, I want you to bring all of the silver and all of the gold from Jericho into the house of God. Why didn't he say, I want you to bring 10%? Why didn't he say, I want you to bring a tithe of all of the gold and silver into the house of God? Well, if you look at the history of that, Jericho was actually the first. It was the first city that they received anything from. So I want you to bring me everything that you received from the first city that was conquered, and everything from that point is going to be redeemed. The first portion has the power to bless the rest. And even saying that, even hearing myself speak, oh, if you don't give of the first, it's not going to bless the rest, sounds a little prosperity-ish but it's a principle that's throughout scripture. And and just because it may sound a little bit like, oh, he's getting all prosperity, really, I can't deny or dismiss the principle if it's true. Let me ask you another question. Why, in in the story of Cain and Abel, there's two brothers, they they both bring uh, an offering to the Lord. God receives one of the offerings, he doesn't receive the other. Why? Why? Why doesn't he receive Cain's offering? I want us to look at it in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. It's clear, I think, Cain is the farmer in the story and he doesn't bring the first fruits, he brings an offering in the process of time, right? At some point he brought an offering and it wasn't the first of the, of the crops, it was just whatever was left. And then you've got Abel, who's the rancher, he brings the firstborn and God says, I'll accept that, but I won't accept this. Now, it's 2,500 years before the law because some people will say, well, you know, tithing and offerings that's all part of the law we don't live under the law anymore so therefore we don't have to do that and I would just say well this is a example is this the is this should we hinge everything on this one example no absolutely not but we do look at the thread that goes throughout scripture this principle of the first and we say okay is there something there that I need to apply to my life For those that argue that we are no longer under the law, I would just say this, that, the, that we, we would say, well, no, we say that adultery, committing adultery, was against the law. And yet today, even though we don't live under the law, most of us, at least followers of Jesus, know that that's not okay. We still adhere to that. Another example would be stealing. We know that stealing under the law was illegal. And, and so today we would say, well, we don't live under the law, therefore I could just steal. No, we would say stealing is not okay. Honoring your father and mother, that was under the law. We know that to be a right thing. We would say, well, I don't live under the law, but we still would recognize the principle of that to be something that we would apply to our lives today. So I'm just making the argument here that just because this was under the law, we shouldn't dismiss it from being applicable into our life today. The other element of that story of Cain and Abel is that it wasn't just that he, that God couldn't, uh, or that God wouldn't accept Cain's offering. It was that he couldn't. He couldn't accept his offering. And you say, well, I thought he's God. God can do whatever he wants right? Well, there are some things that God can't do. I'll just explain some of those things to you. The first is that God can't act outside of who he is, out of his character. He can't change, right? God cannot change. He, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We call that the immutability of God, that he is the same. He is unchangeable, so God cannot change. God can't think the way that we think, right? We have limited ability in our, in our things. some more than others, but we have limited ability. And scripturally, we see that God is omniscience, omni meaning all, science meaning knowledge. He knows all things at all times. And the longer we think about that, that God knows all things right now, all the time, like our head starts to hurt because we can't, think in that context. And so we don't understand. Uh, I could say it this way, that nothing has ever occurred to God, right? God didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I was just thinking about this and never thought of that before. No, he knows all. Isaiah reminds us that my thoughts are not your thoughts. God can't be second. He can never be in second place. We call that the preeminence of God, that he is above all, he is higher than all, and even if he's not first in your life, he is still first in the universe. Some argue that the reason that God didn't accept Cain's offering was because of his heart, that he had somehow hardened his heart, uh, and, and maybe so, that's very likely, And that's probably why he brought the offering that he did. Hebrews 11.4 concludes that it was the nature of the sacrifice that was rejected. It It was this idea that it wasn't the first. Cain gave what he wanted when he wanted and God said, that's not how you do it. The third thing in your notes is the tithe must be first. The tithe belongs to God and God is first, Leviticus 27, 30. And all of the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. See, Ryan, there you go again. It's just fruits and livestock. And some people will even say to you, uh, sar- well, they'll, they'll say to me sarcastically or to you, they'll, they'll say, well, if you wanna bring a legitimate tithe to the church, just bring your pastor a salad. just bring him some strawberries and that will be your tithe. Because a tithe is only fruits and vegetables or livestock. I would prefer the beef personally if you're gonna bring me anything. (laughs) But here's the thing is, if fruits and vegetables or grain or uh, produce is your livelihood, is something that you grow, uh, if you are a rancher and you have that, and I would say to you the same thing that bring the first of that. Let the church work that out. Let the house of the Lord figure out what they're gonna do with the side of beef. They'll sell it so they can do the work of the ministry. They'll eat it, which is more likely with our staff. (laughs) But whatever the case, the principle of first still applies, whether it's livestock, whether it's produce, or whether it's your money. It's still the same principle. God's way works in this. So how does this principle of the first play out just kind of in a, in a real world scenario? Well, if I have a house, which I do, if you have a landscaping company and I hire you to come do some landscaping at my house, and uh, you tell me th- there's going to be this much in, uh, in product, in materials, and, and then i got this much. i got to pay my guys, and so there's labor, and then I've got to make some money on it. And so the money I'm going to make is about $1,000. So I pay for the materials and the labor and all that, and then it comes time to pay you for your part in this as the owner of the company. And I, I've got 10 $100 bills. So I'm going to pay you $1,000. Now, I'm not a genius in math, but, but a tithe of 1,000 or 10% of 1,000 is what? Is a is 100, right? So I got 10 $100 bills. And my question is, if I put 10 $100 bills in your hand, which of those is the first? Which of the 10 in my hand are the first? The first one to leave my hand. That, that's the first, Right, the, the first one that I, I give out. And so what happens is oftentimes we'll, in, in our world and our culture today is we'll, we'll have our 10, $100 bills and we got to pay the mortgage. I don't know whose mortgage is a hundred bucks, but I got to pay the mortgage and I got to pay you know groceries and I got to pay this. And we, we just start doling it out and then, okay, and then I'm going to pay my tithe. My question is, who got the first? In this scenario, the mortgage company did right? And last time I checked, and they are evil people unless you work for the mortgage company, and then they're not. They're amazing. (laughs) But they can't redeem the rest. The mortgage company cannot redeem the rest. So you're giving your first to the one that can't do anything with it. And the point is, is that we should be giving the first to God and then everything else. Now, I'm not legalistic about it, you know, scripture talks about a, a curse being there if you, if you, you know, don't give to God first or whatever, that everything else will be cursed. I don't, I don't think we're legalistic about this. Right? If I get a direct deposit, it just magically appears into my bank account. And I try the best that I can, as soon as it does, to, to send out my tithe. And, and sometimes I'll get caught up in a meeting, I'll get busy, and something happens, and I just don't get to it. And then I get home, and I find out that my wife already went to H E B, and and bought our grocery money. I'm like, "Would you do that for?" Like now we're cursed, right? <laughs> like I, I didn't, I didn't give it to God yet, and you're out just spending money. Now we're cursed. It's your fault. That's crazy, right? I mean, we're not legalists about this. It's a heart issue that would say, "I'm going to." Set as a precedence that God is first in my finances. He is first in everything, and I'm going to set that aside first. It's the principle of the first. Here's what happens if you don't do this. Oftentimes, you'll say, i got to pay the mortgage. i got to pay the electric bill. i got to pay my cable bill. i got to do all these things, and, you get all, and then I'll give God whatever's left. And there is never anything left. And there is a passage in Malachi that talks about bringing an offering of uh, lame deaf animals as leftovers, basically. God doesn't want your, I mean, if I brought, if I was like, hey, I I got this pet for you. It's a pet donkey. You you can't hear, it can't do anything. It doesn't even move. It's paralyzed. You'd be like, I don't want that, right? That's kind of the same thing when you're giving God what's left over. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He's the one that connected these two things, right? It's not some pastor that just said, hey, you need to check your heart. No, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 13. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? In other words, one day your son's gonna get old enough to ask the question, why are you killing all of these sheep? That you shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons, I redeem. Think about it for a second uh, you got a kid. He's he, they live on a ranch, you know, in a tent or house or whatever. And they got a sheep, and it's about to give birth to a little lamb. He comes running into the tent or the house. Dad, dad, dad! It's giving birth. And they're like, oh, we got to go see it. And so they all go out. And on the way out, on the counter is a knife, and dad grabs the knife. And they get in there, and they're, oh, it's so cute. Look, it's gross, but it's you know, it's cute, and oh, he can't really stand. He's kind of wobbly. And, and, and then, oh, he got up, he can stand. And dad just grabs him by the hind legs, takes a knife and cuts his throat. The son looks up at his dad and he goes, what did you do that for? What did that lamb do to you? Whatever he did, I don't want to do it. Well, what did he do to you? And it gives the dad an opportunity to explain to his son a very important principle. The son gets older and older and time goes on and he's looking at the books. He's like, dad, dad, everybody's got blind spots. I think I found yours. We are in the ranching business. We are here to raise these sheep. And every time there's a firstborn, you kill it, cutting into our profits. This doesn't make sense. Why would you kill it? This year alone, you've killed 75 of these little baby lambs. Why did you do that? And it gives the dad the opportunity to explain to his son, son, we weren't always ranchers. See, there was a time in which we weren't free people. We were slaves. We were people who were bound. We didn't have the ability to have anything. We were told what to do, where to do it, where to go, all of those things. And somehow God in his sovereignty, by his mighty hand, delivered us out of that slavery. Therefore, I gladly give to God the first of everything that we have. When people ask me why I tithe, because honestly, people say to me all the time, well, it's not, you know, it's under the law. You don't have to do it anymore. You know, just give some strawberries and stuff and we'll all be happy. When people ask me why I do it, I explained to them that I wasn't always free from my sin and and the bondage of the slavery of my past, that I didn't always live the way that I'm living now. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, the, the sacrifice of the clean, me, the unclean, will gladly give back to him the first of everything that I have. That's why I do it. Not because I'm bound by some law or under some compulsion from a pastor or a church, but because I want to present everything that I have as a reminder to the fact that the firstborn, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is why I get to be free. And I give back to that every time. As a church, we believe in the tithe. We teach the tithe, so much so, so that we tithe. You, don't, you may not know this, but as a church, when we receive the tithes and offerings, we collect them through the month. At the end of the month, the first check that we write to send out is our tithe check. We send it towards church planning. We send it towards leadership development. We send it towards all under the umbrella uh, of of fulfilling the work of the ministry, we send it out. And then we take another 1% of, of the giving that we receive here as an offering, and we give that to missions. So 1% of your tithe goes to missions, and then uh, 10% of your tithe goes off to uh, help with church planning and doing the work of the ministry. So much so, we believe in this so much so, that there was a time a uh, little over a year ago where we, we had received a large end-of-the-year gift. And uh, many of you know that we we're a little bit bound by our debt, we're trying to get out of debt, we're in the process of getting out of debt, but we got this large uh, gift to the church, and, uh, and, and so we, were gonna, we used that, those funds to pay down some of our debt and, and paid off uh, about $400,000 of our debt, and, uh, and so it was, it was a significant gift, you can, as you can tell. And there was something inside of me that thought, well, you know, there's a great gift and man, there's so much good that we could do with that. And I was thinking, are we gonna really tithe off of that gift, that one gift, you know what I mean? To send that off and to do something with it. It's like, man, we could do so many other things with it. And I went into our church council meeting, uh, which we meet once a month. And, and I told our church council, I started to say, you know, guys uh, and lady, um, here, here's the thing is we got this huge gift And, uh, and man, you know, I, I'm just thinking about like what we could do in our city, what we could do in our country and church planning and all this stuff. I, you know, should we really send off this tithe? And you, it was like pitchforks and torches in that meeting. They were like, what do you mean do we send it off? You haven't in, that's still sitting in our bank account. Like that's still there. That was supposed to be the first thing that's out. They were so upset by the fact that we hadn't already done it. And I tell you that because I'm I'm confessing my humanity. There are moments where I'm like, man, there's a lot that I could do with this and that. And yet we believe in it so much, and I can promise you the next day it was out. It was gone. And there's something about giving this principle of the first and so we're not getting caught up in the legalism of the law. We're not getting caught up in the, is it 10%, is it 8%, is it this, is it that. I'm just saying, can we get caught up in the firsts? Can we get caught up in the, the firsts of what we have, whether it be your giftings and your talents? But here's the thing. I'll go to some churches, and some churches will be like, you know, if you can't, uh, you know, don't give of your first uh, of your money, give of your first of your talents, you know, and your giftings and your abilities. I don't think you get to choose which of your firsts you're going to give. They're all equal. Like, you give all of your firsts, whatever the case may be. I want us to pray, and I want us to ask the Lord what he's telling us through this message. Because here's the thing, is I I really... I don't want us to feel guilty this morning. It's why we received the offering before, uh, before the message. I tell people in our, our life track, in step number two, that our tithe is not to keep the lights on and to keep air conditioning running in the building. Do we use tithe dollars for those things? Yes. But if we ever boil it down to the fact, that if we ever get to a place to where I say, oh man, we are struggling, we can't even keep the lights on, and I, um, I, out of compulsion, get you to give towards that, it's an exchange of finances. It's not a tithe. The people who talk about Second Corinthians chapter 2 being a spirit-led thing, they have it right in the sense that this has to be from your heart. It has to be joyful. It has to be without compulsion that there is an element of this that it can't ever be an exchange of goods. I know people who are very faithful givers, but they have these other areas in their life that they're not willing to let go of. They're not willing to let God be first in. Get, this isn't a problem, but, but you ask me to surrender my fear. You ask me to surrender some of these other things in my life, and I, I just, you know, I don't trust God enough in that. And then there's people who are like, I'll give God all of that, but my finances, I don't know. See, it's all in the same. Are we going to put God first? Are we going to put him in his rightful place? Are we going to present to him the first of everything that we have? Lord, that's my prayer for us as a church. I don't ever want to get caught up in looking at who's tithing. I don't look at that. I I don't want to look at that stuff. Who's tithing what and how much and all of that stuff. God, I just want to be known as a church that operates under the principle of the first. That in everything we do, we give first and foremost to you, the one who is first. Lord, my prayer is that our hearts would be receptive to this this morning. That anything the enemy might do to come in and, and try to shut this down or to speak lies and to say, oh, he just wants your money or you know he just he doesn't want you to you know have these things or whatever that 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 in in the name of Jesus the Holy Spirit would just clear that out and Lord that we could come to you today and say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? What. What area do I need to grow in this? What do I need to put first in my life? That's my prayer, is that we would be that kind of people. As a church, we would go deeper in our faith. And we would be challenged in this. Your word talks about, you know, testing you in this. It's, it's always used a bit out of context. But Lord, there is an element of giving and of bringing an offering to you where you do say it will return redeemed. And redeemed doesn't always look exactly how we think it may look, but it certainly is provi- provision. It is provided for by you. So Lord, we give that to you today. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we Always give the opportunity for people to respond to Jesus. And here's the thing, is if you don't have a relationship with God, if you haven't made him first in your life, then there is zero to no expectation that you would make him first in all these other things. The first step is to place him on his throne, to put him number one, to stop leading your life and trusting in yourself and really begin trusting in him for everything in your life. And so if you're here this morning and you've never done that, if you've never surrendered your life to God, I want to give you that option this morning. I'll pray with you. Just nobody's going to embarrass you or have you come forward. I just would invite you to raise your hand and say, Ryan, I need you to pray with me that I make God first in my life. Is there anybody that's saying that today? God, for every one of us in this room, let us make you first. In our time, yes. In our talents, in our giftings, in our abilities, yes. But also in our treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Normally we'd have the ushers come and we'd receive an offering and all of that, but I'm just gonna invite you to stand. And we're gonna worship The Lord in song, one last time. And during this song, the the lyrics of the song say, God, I look to you, you're the help that I need. Something along those lines. I won't be overwhelmed is one of the lyrics. Any talk of putting God first in your finances can be overwhelming because I, I would imagine statistically in our church, we have an enormous amount of debt. And so you're thinking, I've I just got to get that taken care of. And then, and then I'll be at a place to where I can put God first. And some people would disagree with me on this. So, you know, so I'm not, this isn't the gospel according to the Bible. It's the gospel according to Ryan. But in my experience, I will tell you that uh, if you put God first, getting out of debt and all of that other stuff that's weighing you down will begin to get in the right order. If you put him first, everything else is in order. It doesn't mean it's easy. doesn't mean it's easily taken care of, but it does mean that it's in the right order, all right? So I would invite you as we worship and as we sing this song to, to invite God to speak to you in areas that you need to change in, as well as to invite his presence and his strength to overcome all of the weight of, of stress and things that come when it comes to talking about this.